Okie dokie, folks. Welcome to the Roots Report podcast presented by Motif Magazine and sponsored by The Parlor, R1 Entertainment, the Trinity Brewhouse Beer Garden, Graysale Brewing of Rhode Island, and SE Microphones. I am your host, John Fusick. Today we have singer-songwriter Pamela Means. Pamela will be bringing her Power of the Protest song show to the Narrow Center for the Arts on Saturday, October 22nd at 2 p.m. Pamela will be performing her own political tunes plus the rotating list of iconic protest songs, noting their history, relevance, longevity, and effect. The show is free and open to the public. Tennessee, a sharecropper's son, far from luxury. Moved up north in 1952, and a damn thing changed from his point of view. His point of view. Now I've been pulled over on a shore wood shoulder, asked where you're going, where you been. you want now, don't you? I didn't know the side of the road was a courtroom. Everything dark comes out in the light. We keep marching on, but our souls are tired. Cause here we are again. Here we are again. A black man gone cause of the color of Color of his skin I was grown and groomed in the Great Lakes Midwest where politeness covers up years of repressed tight lips, tight asses, too slow to grow, hypersegregated masses, and I had to go. Rodney King riots in 1992 A black president, I seen that too But ain't a damn thing changed from my point of view Ain't a damn thing changed from my point of view Everything dark comes out in the light We keep marching on, but our souls are tired Cause here we are again, here we are again A black child gone cause of the color of her skin Everything dark comes out in the light We keep marching on, but our souls are tired Cause here we are again, here we are again A black child gone cause of the color of the skin color of the skin the color of their skin the color of the skin
Pamela? Hi. So, you're going to be at the Narrows on October 22nd doing a yeah. workshop on protest? No, songs? it's a concert. Oh, it's a concert. Kinda, yeah, it's a concert. I say mini presentation just because I kind of talk about it. So it's a concert of mostly half original and half covers of all political music protest songs. And I talk about what I've learned of the, some of the different songs. So do you want to talk about your view on protest songs and how you came to develop this uh, performance and get into this genre of music and what inspired you to do so and such. Sometimes I say I became a political songwriter by default. I embrace it, that path now, but the way it began was just roll of the dice, I guess. You know, I'm born biracial and queer and a woman in the United States in 20th and 21st centuries, and it's not a generally welcoming place for any of those identities, to say the least. I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is... They invented a new term, hyper-segregated. And there's a lot of places. I mean, there's mess all over the place. And ignorance and bigotry and hatred and division and segregation. And I was uh, growing up in Milwaukee and I was first called the N-word in fifth grade, if not before, at a Lutheran school. Wow. Uh-huh. It happened repeatedly at that school and they didn't handle it very well. The teachers, they, they just made it worse, really. So I, I was not protected and just the irony of a Lutheran school and that's the first place I was verbally assaulted in that way. I grew up feeling a lot of pain and anger and confusion as a feeling on the outside a lot. After high school, after college, well I didn't really go to college, I went to the conservatory and studied music, but once I moved from Milwaukee to Boston and I came out and was in my, had my first girlfriend and she gave me some books and that's when I was first introduced to the literature of, in particular, Audre Lorde and Bell Hooks and soon after James Baldwin and many, many other writers, mostly black writers, some of them also queer. Those three in particular really spoke to me immediately and it was a flood of education, of inspiration, of articulation of how and what I had felt my whole life and why and beginning to understand the institutions of racism and all the other isms at play for the entire history of our country and and before that and so that was really powerful to to feel affirmed my life's experiences because they were not affirmed in those other places in the Lutheran schools where I went and and I had supportive friends and some supportive family but we just didn't talk about this kind of stuff in in the way that those writers did. And me being a critical thinker and a creative person, I just really uh, was starving for this kind of information. And uh, so it was really transforming to finally be exposed to it and to receive that, put myself through that kind of education. And in that process, I also was realizing how honest and straightforward and frank these writers were in their nonfiction essays, which I'm mostly referring to. I know James Baldwin wrote some novels, but mostly um, it was his nonfiction essays, uh, like The Fire Next Time. So in, in reading all these works, 
and being aware of and inspired by their honesty and straightforwardness and unapologetic pursuit in finding and revealing truth. I realize, like all great art, their art, their work comes from honesty and authenticity. And I was inspired by that. And I think that's true in all genres of art. You have to be yourself to make your best art and all that kind of stuff. But I realized that I would have to do the same and write honestly about my own experience in my life. And my life was as I described, being a biracial queer woman in the United States at this time in history. It comes with a lot of pain and a lot of rage. In writing about it, it helps me process, it helps me stay sane, and it's become a responsibility. It's my job. It's a duty. Nina Simone said uh, an artist's duty is to reflect the times, and I take that very seriously, inspired by the writers I just mentioned. And So I just dug in and have ever since then written honestly about my own life and the world, but I only know the world through my own lens and you know I educate myself but still the world happens to me as these identities that I mentioned and so that's how I process that's how I filter the world and I write honestly about that and then when you zoom out it's political it's not popular it's not always welcome who wants to hear about ugly things because there's not a lot of bubblegum bubblegum themes and the things that I live or write about. Certainly there's love and nice things, but the world is in a lot of pain and we need to shine a light on things to fix them, to begin to heal from them. So that's that's where I'm coming from now. Now, do you feel like your move to Boston, you found, did you find Boston a little bit more integrated and welcoming as opposed to uh, Wisconsin? Do you um, find the same <clears throat> problems in Boston that you found in Wisconsin? Did you find the the Northeast a little bit more liberal and open-minded? Did that help? It it did help. It's it's both. I mean, it is more liberal. It's more educated. Massachusetts is one of the most educated states in the country, so there's more openness, I think. It's terribly racist. There's still a lot of segregation and ugly racism in and around Boston, and as most places. But I can be... I like to... I, I live places, the zip codes I choose live in are where I can be all the parts of myself with the least amount of hassle. So here in the Northeast, I can be queer, I can be brown, I can be radically progressive politically and outspoken. I can't always be all those things comfortably. So, you know, I can totally be queer here here in Massachusetts. I can totally be a loudmouth, lefty, radical political person. I can kind of sometimes be a black person. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you find the fact that you are a little safer, does that make it easier for you to speak up now as opposed to say you still lived in a state or if you played in a state that was a little bit less tolerant, do you still speak up as loudly? I do. And it, it's pretty scary. I mean, I'm not rushing to go spend any time in the southeast. But when I have toured there, I have been myself and I have not shied away from my work or my message because I think it's my job. It would be hypocritical and inauthentic if I didn't show that 
when I went to those places. Now, have you so. have you wound up facing hostility in those areas when you've gone down there and done this, or have you faced hostility anywhere you've played your music? Have you experienced any kind of hostility towards you or towards an audience that supports you, especially in these past few years where things have been crazy? I think um, at the actual gigs and the people who are organizing them and the people I stay with when I'm traveling those are safe spaces those are usually like-minded people and I have experienced harassment and fear in between the places and traveling in between and being glared at at a random gas station off the highway and things like that make me feel very unsafe although I also think sometimes it happens and I don't see it like I had a gig an outside gig this summer and I was playing my tune hands up in the last verse I started talking about the, the NRA and I heard after the fact that a woman was walking by and was really pissed off with what I was saying singing about the NRA and I didn't see it at all I'm very satisfied that she was upset by it but that could be dangerous so I think that I'm brave but it's also terrifying but maybe I think also the definition Audre Lorde said the definition of courage is to say what you have to say even when your voice is shaky. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, how do you feel about the current state of the country that uh, I know that you do think this we're on shaky ground right now, but I mean, as far as speaking up anywhere because of the division that is happening and that was caused in part by the previous president, I don't want to mention his name because I don't like to mention mm-hmm. his name, but mm-hmm. and his ilk that support and still support him and support his racist and misogynistic, segregationist and radical views of, of humans. What's your opinion of where we're going to wind up? I mean, do you have a, an optimistic viewpoint or a pessimistic viewpoint that things are going to turn around and uh, calm down a bit? Or do you feel like that, you know, the whisperings of civil war, do you feel that deep down in your bones? I don't fear a civil war. I do believe there will be more violence. January 6th has proven that, and I think those those channels are just grown. I feel both. I feel optimistic in the long view. When I look at young people who are open and embracing of all, there's 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 a tolerance feels like too too not the right word. It's beyond tolerance. It's it's actual community and love and acceptance that I see among the younger generation and most of them, many of them. And so that gives me hope going forward for the future. In the immediate, I don't think there's going to be a civil war because because there's Netflix. (laughs) 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 I mean, there's 300 million people here, and everybody's you know watching Netflix and stuff, and which I think is part of an overall effort to keep us distracted and divided. You know, those things have only grown since six decades ago when there were only a a couple of channels and people were out in the streets more in the civil rights era but i think i honestly think people are too lazy and distracted and disinvested to get out there in the street and actually go to war unless you know some faction large enough comes down on everybody else and forces it to happen but i don't really see that happen 
I think that there will be more violence because there's so much hostility and ignorance. I don't think that's going to get better for a while. In the 2016 election, on election night, I sat up most of the night in despair. And in those hours, I was watching and reading a lot. And I saw a couple interviews which gave me some perspective and one was an interview with Benjamin Jealous the former director of the NAACP and he was on it MSNBC. He said that that election of 2016, which was a severe backlash to the election, two elections of Barack Obama, that that election was a severe backlash to that, but also the final death throes of the white power structure losing its grip. And in a, a hundred years or so, historians will be able to look back at this time now and see that this was the beginning of the end. And oh, I, I hope that's really what it is, the beginning that. of the end. I really do. I, I do. I just fear I'm not going to live long enough to see the end of it, and that's painful to live through, but I've really believe it's moving in that direction and just things take fucking forever yeah i mean i'm a white guy and i'm embarrassed for white people who act that way it's it's ridiculous it's you know anybody who thinks that races and sexes are are greater than others uh, there's something inherently wrong with that viewpoint i mean if you were an individual and you have some kind of skill that's greater than another person fine but just you sh your race and sex do not make you inherently greater or, or inferior to another person or another anybody and it's just ridiculous that people think that way and and, and the people who think that way are probably the worst specimens of living people living creatures on the planet <laughs> Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think it's a lot of uh, a lack of education and oh I agree um, I agree wholeheartedly with education I worry about the way education is being attacked it's just that you know parents are trying to decide what their parents they they learn and that's even worse because that you know that's truth is truth and when it starts to be filtered through your twisted viewpoint then it isn't truth anymore and mm -hmm. you know it's like today today's columbus day and on one half of the you know in rhode island you've got people up on federal hill celebrating christopher columbus because of the italian heritage and stuff such like that and then you've got people that are celebrating it as indigenous people's day and that just shows you that not only the divide but certainly the um the cluelessness of some people that it's you know people are trying to get beyond columbus day yet there are a bunch of people who just refuse to stop celebrating it mm -hmm. and you know it's i think this is similar yeah it's kind of the same way with you know in rhode island we have uh victory over japan day and i think we're the only state that still has wow. it as a holiday i think i really i think we're the only state that still has it as a holiday and they don't even call it victory over japan day they just call it vj day and most people don't even know what it means they just think it's a monday off and wow. um, it's crazy that it still is there but people will not get rid of that holiday and i, I don't think it's uh, i i know there are some staid people who are still stuck in the world war ii mode who still like want to celebrate that that's just you know the people the older people want to celebrate that but beyond that because i mean japan is now an ally and i don't think we should be celebrating a victory over an ally anymore where people you know hundreds of thousands of people were killed with the 
nuclear with a nuclear bomb and that just shows you how disconnected people can be about things and and a lot of people don't even make the association and i think that when you have someone like you who is singing and performing music it's kind of a way of introducing them to a more open viewpoint of the world and i think uh, as you know because i i like to perform i used to think i was more of a protest singer but i don't write as much protest music as i used to i'm inspired by songs that have meaning and such and it's just i find that they open your eyes to a new world it's it's a softer way of being introduced to better reality i think don't you think yeah i agree and i think music a song could change your mind or change your heart or spark a thought in three minutes you know faster than almost anything else can and it can sneak in there too Right, right. Yeah, uh, you know, I've been saving a lot of music quotes for this project too, and there's a good Pete Seeger quote that says a good song reminds us what we're fighting for. So there's that too. A ways way to find commonality. I'm glad that you said that you're embarrassed by uh, some other white people with those extremist views, and be, because I also think that we all have to do our work wherever we are, whatever we can and say what we can to whom we can say it to. So there are things that you can say as a white dude to other white people, and it can be heard. Whereas if I said the very same sentence, I could immediately be dismissed, and vice versa. I can say things to certain rooms that wouldn't sound as good if you said it. Right. You know, so we all gotta get in there. I know sometimes white people feel bad or wonder what they could do or whatever, and I, I think there's that to each other. Call out those terrible awkward jokes and mm. don't let things slide now on on the obverse of this uh, how do you feel about people getting overly sensitive about things though is that troubling too that people have gotten a little too sensitive about things and that maybe some people need to lighten up a bit do you mean like critical race theory or what do you i just think that uh people need to have a little bit of a thicker skin with I don't know where I'm trying to go with this, but I think I know like dealing with a lot of comedians and a lot of and I'm seeing a lot of people mm. being canceled for things they say and simple things that just could use an apology or oh I'm sorry I didn't really I didn't realize that that was a problem you know and, and education as opposed to cancellation you know I, I just do you find that could be a better solution than just you know if somebody goes down the wrong path and says something and that's not 100% correct but not you know considering the fact that some people never change because change is a hard thing now i do understand do you take into consideration people's age and upbringing and and instead of just are you a little softer on people if they slip or are you open for forgiveness instead of cancellation? I think there should be room for growth. It, it is. It's hard to apologize. It's hard to be accountable. But I think it's required. And I think that it's good to call people out on things that are offensive or outdated or whatever, whatever. And it's also, I think there are ways that that can be done that don't have to humiliate the other person who's being called out i mean every it's i think it's always case by case and i actually you know there's micro racisms there's macro and misogyny and all those other isms and you know i sometimes i feel like i have almost daily practice and figuring out how to 
navigate this one, how to assert myself, how to say something, call someone out on something, especially here in the music business uh, or whatever business. Like I had a recent thing happen where a person said some really fucked up racist shit on stage into the microphone. And I had to first deal with the pain and rage that that brought up immediately, figure out on all of this in a matter of seconds, process that, figure out how to deal with a full room and audience that also just heard and experienced that statement, figure out how am I going to deal with this person whom I wanted to humiliate, whom I wanted to smash the shit out of, but I had to go on stage and perform, figure it out how I dealt with that one because, and this is also upsetting too, that anytime an incident happens, and it happens a lot, <laughs> I have to figure out how am I going to respond to it and in this case it was at a gig it was in public and is my response going to affect my career is it going to affect my money am I going to burn a bridge am I going to lose this gig you know how do I navigate all of those things and the fact that I have to think on all of those levels for every little and not so little thing that happens whether it's on stage or in the the pharmacy you know i have learned that i have to address it so that i can maintain my health and my sanity otherwise i will i'll eat it and i will be self-destructive and um that pain and that rage has to go somewhere so if i don't find it and i've been in therapy for 12 years dealing with myself and just figuring things out as i you know become an older person and all that stuff but if i don't deal with whatever the situation was then i'm gonna take that feeling and all those feelings that came up i'm gonna take it home and i'm gonna probably do something neglectful or self-destructive with it so i've learned that that can happen there's a cost to all of this bullshit and i am not willing to carry it as i used to and i'm not willing to pay that kind of cost sometimes it's inevitable and i'm still paying a cost by having to think about it and navigate it every time it happens but i'm at a place where i will respond sometimes aggressively sometimes gently but i will respond and i will put that ball back in the court of whoever needs to be looking at that shit now a few steps beyond being able to do that now i really don't care what your response is to it i'm taking care of myself by taking this thing and putting it back for your purview <laughs> now what was the venue's response to that that they allowed that to happen or they did they act upon it and chastise the performer for that no of course not because that's because people are become silent and complicit and deer in the headlights and this was a person who was the head organizer so there was no one above him so it would have been people under his uh, position of power confront him no one's going to do that room full of a hundred white people in the audience no one said shit i felt the tension i felt it in the room and in that and, and that and that's very painful because there i am alone i'm all alone I'm literally alone on stage and i'm figuratively figuratively alone in this um moment mm. and uh so i mean i 
I thought about it for the weekend. I sent an email and I said, you know, I really didn't even want to think about this, but it would be disservice and neglectful if I didn't. And, you know, never do that again to anyone, especially a black person. And saying this with love because I'm fond of you. That was probably one of the most gentle ways that I have dealt with that. But the thing is, he said the thing and then never thought about it again until I brought it up in an email a couple days later. Meanwhile, I had to drive home that whole night and like the following process it with my friends and I'll, you know, swim through all that shit until I figured out how I was going to deal with it. There's a insight to the cost of this. I would submit that everyone was wounded by what he said. Straying from that topic now, getting more into the music aspect of things. Now, you've been doing music for what, 30 years now? Uh, we don't need to be specific. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've known you. I've known you for about that. I mean, I, I met you at a folk alliance quite a while ago, so. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I've met you. I, I remember when I met you. I met you in an elevator at the Folk Alliance a very long time ago. Which, which one? I don't remember which one because I went to like 25 of them. Oh, I only got went to a few yeah i was i was a little crazy with the folk alliance for a while and <laughs> went to went to all the nationals and the regionals and you know they added up after a while so but mm -hmm. now i think they've kind of overstayed their welcome and are not as useful as they used to be unfortunately but that's another that's another subject matter altogether how did you get started in the music business and who were uh, your inspirations both musically and protest music what was tell me about that path well i always wanted to play music and but i was really shy and i think my decision was really if if i was going to deal with my chronic shyness so that I could go for my dream, which was to do music. And I, I took private voice lessons um, when I was 18 out of high school. And I, I didn't know anything. I was pretty naive. And a, a friend told me about it, gave me a number to a voice teacher. She became my first voice teacher. Private lessons for a year. I stumbled into learning about the conservatory. And I studied classical guitar and jazz. I thought that I would play electric guitar and be in a band and and then I discovered acoustic music and solo singers, songwriters, and realized, oh, I could I don't need to anybody else. I don't need anybody else. I could just get a acoustic <laughs> guitar and be solo, and and that's what I did. And I, I don't think I really knew what protest music really was for a while. I kind of was aware of. I knew of the song Strange Fruit, and I knew of Woody Guthrie, but it, none of it really stuck for a while. I, I didn't really notice a thread through any of that for a while. And Who were you inspired by besides, you know, Nina Simone and Woody Guthrie and Pete Seeger? I mean, who else inspired your styles of music and your 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 song crafting well bob dylan i started going to use record stores discovered all bob dylan joni mitchell joni mitchell for her eloquence and literary lyrics and dylan had a political stuff it didn't connect with me yet it didn't connect with me the way that the the writers audrey audrey lord bell hooks like that writing pierced into me in a different way that even though I'd already been aware of Bob Dylan, Tracy Chapman I think I think also because maybe Dylan songs didn't necessarily talk about race, they talked they talked about corruption and things like that that I was 
becoming aware of, but it didn't resonate with me for a while. And then I think toward Unsingle Bullet Theory, Unsingle Bullet Theory, an album I put out in 03, I recorded Strange Fruit, and I was encouraged pushed really to record Strange Fruit by Ralph Bronner who is the son of Dr. Bronner Dr. Bronner Soap and he was um, he died in 2015 he loved Dr. Bronner Soap and folk singers and he lived outside of Milwaukee and I've known him since I first started my career toward the end of the 90s he started pushing me to record Strange Fruit and he said every generation needs to know Strange Fruit you need to record this song and I wasn't doing jazz yet or anything and I was like I'm not doing strange fruit We're like Billy Holiday I'm not gonna do that so why would I do that and he kept pushing kept pushing gave me a copy of a PBS documentary about the song and an independent lens episode about strange fruit there's a book about it and I so I started to research that song and I learned that in the 40s and 50s or somewhere in there in, in New York City artists had to have a cabaret license to perform where there was alcohol there were a number of artists who lost their cabaret licenses because they refused to stop singing strange fruit wasn't billy holiday one of those that happened to yep she was the most famous but i thought she was the only one but i learned that there were dozens and josh white is a famous folk singer who lost his license because he kept singing that song when i learned that i thought wow (laughs) wow wow like to commit and risk everything that was the ultimate and i was humbled by that kind of realized then after studying that song in particular and and the artists who did it and then you know going expanding beyond that and who influenced them and learning them that's i think when i really began to learn about the history of protest music and firmly put myself in that path in that lineage and felt another level of pride to be a part of that pretty small <laughs> population and so i kind of just started there and i went backwards and then i you know started listening to all of woody guthrie's songs and what dylan and then before dylan was woody guthrie and in the middle was pete Seeger, and then since then and then also marvin gay and nina simone and all the music out of the civil rights era and then and then going even further back early jazz and then even before that slave spirituals i would submit our protest songs so i just kind of started to see that thread that I hadn't noticed before. Now, when you do your show on the 22nd, it's a 2 o'clock, it's an afternoon show, correct? Yes. And it's a mm-hmm. f- it's a free show, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So there's no excuse not to go because it's free. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. What are you going to be doing there? You're going to be performing mostly, but you're going to be talking about protest music or the, the basis of the protest music. And you said you're going, to be, you're going to be covering some songs of your own and others. What examples of songs you'll be covering? Um, I would say basically it's a concert. I just, in my banter, my banter is focused on, you know, some anecdotes about the songs that I'm performing and what I've learned like that bit about Strange Fruit or the fact that all the lyrics of Strange Fruit were sent to every single member of Congress more than once to try to get a bill an anti-lynching bill passed it was never passed until 2015 wow and Rand Paul opposed it 
Of course he did. <laughs> so I do that song almost every time because it's just so important. I have a rotating list. So I don't do the same things all the time, and I keep wanting to learn new ones. But what I've done most recently, besides Strange Fruit, talking about a revolution, um, what's going on, uh, if I had a rocket launcher by Bruce Coburn, Russians by Sting from this Dream of the Blue Turtles album, because it's suddenly um, topical again. Oh yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately. I have some fellows on the list. Um, Gil Scott Heron. I've been doing Whitey on the Moon. I do a Jason Isbell tune, White Man's World. Here's an example of seeing what you can say to whom you can say it. And, you know, Jason Isbell, white dude from the South, wrote a song called White Man's World. I'm a white man looking in a black man's eyes, wishing I'd never been one of the guys who pretended not to hear another white man's joke. Old times ain't forgotten. So glad he wrote that song. I couldn't have written it. I could have, but I couldn't sing it. You know, I, you know, you know what I'm saying? Right, right. And I also am very mindful of doing a mix of tunes by black artists as well as white artists and just looking be, for good songs and you'll be doing songs. your own songs as well yeah yeah half i mean the, a good thing about this whole project is that i get to still be myself like one of my projects is that i learned the beatles album abbey road and yeah, i do that I as a that. show yeah i remember which you i doing love that. you do all kinds of things you do the jazz you do yeah. the trio you have a trio yeah. and you're very jazzy with the trio and yeah well it's actually a quartet and sometimes a quintet now oh yeah. wow well i just i've always wanted to be a good musician and i continue to work toward that so i have all these different projects because it pushes me to keep growing as a musician and it's very satisfying and I just want to be busy and mm. have different things to do well having worked with you a few you know a few times over the past few years I can attest that your music is it's very enjoyable it, you get you get your message out there um, you're, you're a great performer I mean I had you at the Rhode Island Folk Festival this year I've had you at the Folk mm -hmm. Festival I think I was the third time you'd played the festival f for us I think it was the second, unless there was one I don't remember. I remember with the band in 2017. I think you played as didn't you play as a solo before the band? Maybe I don't remember I a lot. Well, it was a second. <laughs> it was a second or third time you played. So okay, I try to get you down here and get other people exposed to your music when I can. And if you did have a chance to see uh, Pamela at the Rhode Island Folk Festival, you'll you'll definitely want to get out and see her again. That'd be great. Um, anything else you want to add to uh, this about the show? And I'm very glad to have a chance to play the Narrows. Patrick, who's the executive director, is very welcoming and, and I also want to thank the Fall River Cultural Council because this show is sponsored by a grant from the Fall River Cultural Council under the Mass Cultural Council umbrella. I don't even know if I mentioned that the whole reason I'm doing this gig is because I applied for a bunch of grants last year to do this gig and so I, I won. Well that's great that you're getting support. And that's why it's like free. Well, yeah. It's, that's that's why it's free too because it's supported by the grant. That's why when I do the Rhode Island Folk Festival I have it for free too so there's no excuse not to come out mm -hmm. other than a conflict but I mean it's there's no barrier a financial barrier for people to say I don't yeah. have the money for a ticket. It's like this is your opportunity 
to go out and see something that's worth your time and it's going to be entertaining as well as an informative and it's not going to cost you anything other than just the gas to get to where you're going that's right and the narrows is a very comfortable place to experience a show like this so there's like two things happening at the narrows on the 22nd because paula poundstone is going to be there in the, right. in the evening i got her autograph once and she signed paula p-o-u-n-d-s dot 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 <laughs> She's great. I love talking to her. She's a fun person. Her shows are great, too. So, and The other thing I want to tell you, I got that brown t-shirt you gave me when I was at Luthier's once, and I've won that shirt, and I, it has a hole in it now. So. Uh... <laughs> Which is a drag, because I really like that shirt. That was one of my favorite shirts. I keep them in stock, and I just added a new color. Oh, you still have them? I didn't even know if you still had them anymore. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. In fact, I sell them more because people people still buy CDs, but not as much. But I, I see them buying T-shirts more. I think people just want to get something to take home. Yeah, you know, well, that's a good show, thing. So. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad that you're doing the Narrows, and I'm glad that we're able to talk about this. And hopefully people will listen to this conversation and go on out to the Narrows on October 22nd and hear your renditions of the cover songs and, and your own music as well. I want to thank you very much for taking the time to talk with me today. Great. Thank you. Bye-bye. didn't free them, all had slaves and some fucked them. Jimmy James Madison didn't give two shits about anyone. Polk's manifest destiny didn't work out for the Cherokee. Jimmy James, he said, the purpose of the government is to protect the minority. Of the opulent from the majority Two-party systems seem like one gold at the top And the rest on rickety-rickety rungs We got greed and idiocy And embarrassment to everyone With any sense of decency The purpose of the government Is to protect the minority Of the opulent from the majority The purpose of the government Is to protect the minority of the opulent from the majority. Prime perverts police populations, prisons populate 
Salivate Profits, predictions A politician salivate Ellsberg, Manny, Snowden, Davis Heroes and dissidents We all could use a daily dose Of civil disobedience We all could use a daily dose Of civil disobedience The purpose of the government Is to protect the minority Of the opulent from the majority The purpose of the government is to protect the minority Of the opulent from the majority Thanks to Pamela Means for being part of this episode of the Roots Report podcast. Pamela will be bringing her Power of the Protest song to the Narrow Center for the Arts on Saturday, October 22nd at 2 p.m. This show is free and open to the public. For more about the show, march over to narrowcenter.org. For more about Means, maybe you should check out PamelaMeans.com. The Roots Report podcast is presented by Motif Magazine and sponsored by The Parlor, R1 Entertainment, the Trinity Brewhouse Beer Guard, Graysale Brewing of Rhode Island, and SC Microphones. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.